If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd like you to turn back to where we finished last Sunday in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 31, 32, and 33, but then have ready Matthew chapter 2. Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. We're in the second week of our Christmas series called Long Awaited. And the whole point of this series is to feel the, the depth and the magnitude of waiting for something long expected. We learned last week that the announcement of the one that God would send had been something that the people of God had waited for centuries. Truly, coming 700, 800, 900 years before, the prophecies of the one God would send began to come forth. And the one that we lingered on last week was from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when the actual announcement of a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and his name shall be called Emmanuel. And do you remember what Emmanuel meant? God with us. And, and by the way, didn't our kids and all of our students and adults do fabulous last Sunday night with their presentation? Uh, I will, well, well, that one's going to go down in my memory as well. Particularly the flying angel that flew through the sanctuary. If you weren't here, you missed quite a spectacle of the flying angel. It was a thing of beauty. But Emmanuel, God with us, 700 years before the one whom God would send would arrive, the promise that God would be with us, that God would be with you and God would be with me, that God would be with us all, that God would send his, his very self to be with us. And as those centuries passed, the question began, how long? Shall we wait? When will Emmanuel come? When will God's promise be fulfilled? When? And years go by and centuries go by and they wait. And then something miraculous begins to happen. An angel goes to a virgin who is betrothed to Joseph, a woman by the name of Mary, both whom are in the lineage of King David. And an angel announces, Mary, you shall conceive. And the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And you will bear a son. And you will give him the name Jesus, Yeshua. Which, can anybody remember what it meant? The one who saves us from our sin. Mary, you're going to bear a child, and this is Emmanuel, God with us, and this is Yeshua, the one who will save us. This is the Christ, Mary. This is the one that God has promised, long awaited for. The king who has been promised and foretold is coming through you, and is coming to this earth. Well, the angel gives that announcement. That's not the only thing the angel told her. He goes on to say an important announcement that will be not only for her. Yes, this is an important news. She's going to conceive and give birth to a son. And she and Joseph are going to give him the name Jesus. But the angel also declares what this child, what this baby, what this 
all means for not only the people of God, but for all people, all lands, all times, everywhere. The angel says in verse 32 of Luke chapter 1, and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The long-awaited, foretold king is coming. This is king language. The throne of King David, ruling and reigning over the house of Jacob. A kingdom that shall never end. The angel is declaring more than simply the miraculous conception of Jesus. More than simply that Mary and Joseph will raise God's one and only son. But that whom is coming will be the king long foretold that the prophets announce that the people have been waiting for and his kingdom will not be like an earthly kingdom. His kingdom won't have a beginning and an end. His kingdom shall never end. Oh, friends, do you know about King Jesus whose kingdom shall never end? Well, the angel gives that announcement. And something begins to happen when the child is born. The scripture tells us that as Mary and Joseph make their way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because of the decree that all people should be accounted for in the land and home of their lineage, as they move down to Bethlehem, something in the heavenlies starts forming a celestial activity, something that you can see from above. It describes a star, the star of wonder, the star of light shining where Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And some men far, far away see the star. Now this morning, I want to talk about the kings who came to see the king. We know them as the wise men or the magi, the men from afar who travel to see the newborn king. We read about them in Matthew's gospel and in the second chapter. The kings who wanted to come see the king. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1 says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Notice the key word Christ. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, 
And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I have just a few observations I want to share with you this morning about the kings who came to see the true king. You see, they knew of a king long foretold. These were wise men, magi. We believe they probably lived in the land of Iraq, maybe Iran, some one of those modern places and as part of the custom of all ancients was the, the work and the study of the stars. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine? It's winter, it's December, it's cold. What if you had no electricity in your house? I mean, that'd be cold, right? But what if there were no cars that had headlights and there was very, very little street lamps or building light? Or let's just even be... Very, very honest. What if the only light you had in your home was a little fire that you lit each and every evening? Can you imagine how dark it would be just every single night that you lay down your head? And now some of you love the dark. I mean, you put blinds on your windows and maybe even try to get it darker and darker. <laughs> I know when our family travels on vacation, uh, because we all stay in the same hotel room, I have one of those very fancy pants, eye masks, and I look like some dude in a, you know, like getting a facial while I'm trying to go to bed. I put earplugs in, I put an eye mask over my eyes because I can't go to sleep unless it's dark, dark, like real dark. But can you imagine if that was all that you ever experienced at night was dark, dark, no city lights, no light pollution. Well, in the ancient times, that was the case. And so what do you do when it's dark, dark? And what do you do when there's no light anywhere? And what do you do whenever the thing that glows the most in the night sky is above your head? You look up and you wonder what it all means. You notice, and these wise men, these, these learned scholars, they noticed that stars moved or objects in the night sky, they, they rotated and they created myths around the constellations and they determined, oh, this one is moving in the winter and this is moving in the summer. All of their focus was up because that's what you could see at night. And what do they see? 
What do they take notice of? Of all the things moving in the night sky, they notice some celestial activity, some object in the sky, something that appears to be a bright star from a land far off. And it's signaling something, it's showing something, it's pointing to something. And they deduce this must be a sign and a a signal to something spectacular happening. And we need to go and discover it. We need to go and explore it. We need to go find out what this is all about. Now, they knew some of the history. They knew some of the legends. They knew that there had been prophecies from years ago, centuries ago, given to these people about one who was to come and the Christ who would ultimately be sent from God. And as they arrive into the city, the city of Jerusalem, they announce where all of their reasoning is. Where is he, verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? For we saw his star and we have come to worship him. I mean, they have traveled a distance, some hundred miles, and they want to know where is he? Where is the king that this star has pointed to? Now, when you tell that to the living king, the king who is sitting on the throne currently, you can imagine there is a lot of stir. Herod, the king on the throne at that time, is a well-known person in history I've actually been to several of the things that Herod built himself. Herod's palace, Herod's temple. There's multiple, Herod's seaside villa. You can still go to them today. They have survived for 2,000 years. Herod is not some imaginative figure in the Bible. He was a real man who lived in a real time. Actually, I've been to his tomb. I've actually put my hand on the casket where Herod's bones actually are. He's in there. Well, I think he's in there. I didn't open up the lid and look, but I'm pretty sure he's in there. Herod was a real man. And as he learned from the wise men about this king who was to come, man, he needs information. He needs details. It says in verse four that he assembles all of the chief priests and the scribes of the people. And he's asking them, where is the Christ? Where is the Christ to be born? Herod was not originally Jewish. Uh, He is an appointed Roman official who is from the lineage of the Roman Caesars and they've planted him in Jerusalem to rule and reign as a provincial governor. He's not a real Jew. He doesn't know all the details about the Christ. And so he comes to the knowledge, I gotta figure out where the Christ was born and what does the prophet say? And let me ask these wise men about the timeline. He's gathering information. And they tell him, Bethlehem. You want to know where? You don't want to know where the king is going to come from? Bethlehem. Verse 5, Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From, From you shall come a ruler, a king, who will shepherd my people Israel. Bethlehem is about four miles south of Jerusalem. Four miles. In our estimation, here at Springfield Road, it'd just be down at the turn at the edge of Valley Creek Road. 
just four miles away. And Herod didn't know it. He had to have some men from afar tell him about it. He had to have the scribes give him the information. He had to have the chief priests explain it all to him. How could it be that this man, this king, this authority has no idea that the Christ has come, that the star has foretold, that the wise men have arrived? He didn't know anything about the shepherds. He didn't know anything about all that was taking place. It was happening right under his nose and he had no idea because he was blind, blind to the reality that the king had arrived. And I would say to each one of you, you know, we can have all the information. We can have testimonies of other people. We can even have evidence of God's work in our own lives. And there still can be a blindness to the fact that the king God sent has come. Because often it's our own pride and our own arrogance And our own wish to stay in control that makes us push the King Christ away so that we can continue to sit on the throne of our lives. You know, one of the most beginning sins, the most original sins that all of us commit is that we are unwilling to bow to Christ Jesus the King because of our pride and our strength and our Hope in ourselves. But see, the Christ was born. And if you remember what the word Christ means, the Messiah, the promised one, the deliverer, you will also remember from last week that that Christ Jesus has a name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Eventually, we will all bow to the king, whether on this earth or in that ahead. We will all come to the recognition that Christ the king is eternal and we are going to fall before him. The wise men beat us to the falling before the Christ, to worshiping the Christ. But there will come a day, friends, for every single one of us in here where we will fall down and worship Christ Jesus, the eternal king. But sometimes we allow that pride and arrogance, even though we know all the information, to prevent us from bowing to the king in this life. See, the king was long foretold. The king had arrived. And the earthly king, King Herod, oh, he's afraid. He's afraid. He's terrified. The scripture says in verse 3 that when King Herod heard this, he was troubled. I think that's an understatement of the Bible. (laughs) He's a little worried. No, he's panic mode. He's terrified. It actually says in all of Jerusalem with him because when the king is afraid, you can imagine he's about to unleash a bunch of problems and issues that's going to make all the people afraid. And we actually know that not only is King Herod terrified of what's about to happen, he's afraid that his throne is in jeopardy. He's afraid that he's about to be tossed out and the true king of the Jews is about to be installed. That he asks the wise men. He gets the guys in the room who have told him about the star. And verse 7 tells us he summons them secretly to figure out what time the star had appeared. Oh, what's going on in the mind of King Herod? What's he about to do? 
He's heard from the prophecies about Bethlehem. He now has heard from the wise men about the star. He's heard from the scribes and the prophets about the Christ and all that's to take place. And so now he gathers them together to get a timeline in place. Friends, I, I, I'm, I'm, I hesitate to even point you to this reality. If you read a little further in Matthew's gospel, you will have the most horrific tale of the Christmas story that we never, ever speak about in our Christmas messages. That Herod the Great, having learned the timeline of the stars appearing and the place in which the Christ was to be born, Herod the Great enacts a terrible, terrible event where children are murdered. Matthew chapter 2 verse 13 tells us of the plan and its outcome. Now eventually when the wise men had departed and behold an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said rise take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Herod when he had become had been when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. As sad as it is, as sad as it is, horrific. There is actually historical evidence outside the Bible that there was mass slaughter of children in Bethlehem and in that region toward the end of the reign of King Herod. Evil, evil. And that's not something we want to tell our children on Christmas morning. That little infants and babies were massacred at the hands of an evil man. But let me just point you to truth. Yes, Herod is wicked, evil, horrendous. But the same evil sin that lived in Herod's heart that caused him to set a plan into a place that killed children is the same wicked, evil heart that all of us have. And yes, Herod did a horrific thing, but the reality is all humanity, all people, all of us have a brokenness on the inside. We're all capable of terrible, terrible things. Praise be to God. I say this on often. I have the same capacity. You have the same capacity to do horrific things as anyone else. And it's only by the grace of God that we are not one in jail or two, not horrific people ourselves. That we have this sin that causes us to do terrible things. And Herod did, a, Herod did a terrible thing. A horrible thing. There were families absolutely destroyed by what he did. And somehow, miraculously, God in his infinite wisdom gives another angel to Joseph to get him out of the area of Bethlehem. Get him on the road. Get him out of the region so that Jesus would be protected. Now, it's, it's so fascinating. Friends, watch this with me. Jesus and the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, they go to Egypt as a fleeing from an evil regime. If you look back into the Old Testament, you know that Moses was saved through the Nile River. We studied him earlier this year by God's protection in the, in the river because of an evil regime that was attempting to destroy and kill little male children. I mean, the patterns continue and I could actually very accurately tell you today that kind of thing still happens in places in the world 
There is evil like this where infants and children, particularly males, particularly of certain ethnicities or certain people groups are eliminated because of some corrupt government, some corrupt regime trying to destroy a whole group of people. I mean, it's terrible to think that way, but we haven't evolved as people. We haven't gotten better. It was happening in Moses' day. It was happening in Jesus' day. It's happening in our day. People have the capacity to do terrible, terrible things. And that's why the grace of God in Christ Jesus to turn our wicked hearts away from sin and point them to the glories of God. That's how Jesus saves us from our sins. Oh, the Christ came and made that king terrified. But I want to just close this message on the fact that the king was found by the three kings. The king was found. And going into the house, verse 11 says, they saw the child. And for all of you who have your nativity scenes out on your mantle or in a place in your house, put the wise men a little further off. It took them a while to get there. They're not there with the shepherds and the baby and Jesus and Joseph. I always, so I got my little nativity scene. I put the wise men in the other room. They took a little while to get there. They had to walk a bit. They had to travel. They got there. But Jesus is probably one and a half, two years of age. That's why the order of Herod is two years and under. They weren't there the night Jesus was born. They were on their way, but they weren't there. But they found him and they come into the house and they fall down and they worship him and they open their gifts. Oh, we know of these gifts, gold, frankincense and myrrh. They bring him things. And and I, I found a little cartoon that I thought was so, so funny about the gifts. Maybe you've been shopping a little bit for someone in your life. Maybe you've been purchasing some gifts. Let's take a look at that. Apparently gold, customers also buy with gold, frankincense and myrrh. It's like the Amazon recommendation system already happening in the times of the wise men. They come in threes. How many of you have fallen trapped to customers also purchased? No confession this morning, only, only me. Oh man, I've, been, I've, I've taken that off for a time or two. They bring gifts for a king. Gold is the currency of a king. Frankincense is the fragrance, the aroma for a king. Myrrh is the anointing balm for a king. We believe that these three gifts were those items that supplied the needs for Jesus and Mary and Joseph on their flight to Egypt. It's probably these gifts that provide all of their means until they eventually get back to Nazareth after Herod's death. Herod dies in 4 BC. They eventually get back to their homeland, probably living and surviving on these gifts. Gifts from afar. Gifts for the king. But they know. They have seen the king whose kingdom shall never end. They have worshipped the king forever. They have worshipped the king forever. And if you would give me just your heart for a moment. I just want to take you just if I can to the land of Israel. The land that 
by geographic mileage is about the size of New Jersey. It's not very big. The land that Jesus ultimately came to and lived his entire life in is very, very small. And the scripture had foretold that the king would come from the lineage of David and that King David's throne would eventually have a king that would set on it for all time. If you actually go back into the lineage and the history, King David ruled for 40 years and after him, his son Solomon ruled. Solomon had some good days, but also had some bad days. And eventually Solomon's house and the kingdom of Israel broke into parts, some in the north, some in the south. And eventually the north will be taken over by the Assyrians. That would be modern day Iran. The north completely gets leveled, leaving only the south. But even the south eventually gets taken over by the Babylonians. That would be modern day Iraq. We know of the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the moving of people back to Babylon, of Daniel and the lion's den because the Babylonians had wiped out the southern kingdom. But that's not even alone. David at one point was on his throne. Solomon was on the throne, but now the kingdom is lost. And then there will be other groups. Eventually, the Babylonians will be pushed aside by the Persians and the great Persian army of Cyrus the Great and Darius. And eventually some people will be allowed to return. But they're not given a kingdom. They're not given a throne. They're under a vassalage, under authority of someone else. Eventually the Persians will be wiped away by the Greeks. The Greeks were strong under Alexander the Great, but they are nothing compared to the great Greek armies. And the Greeks will hold that area, hold it for some 250 years. But even the Greeks aren't that great. Eventually the Romans will sweep in under the great Caesars and the Romans will be the ones in authority when Jesus lives and walks. For 500 years the Romans will rule that land, but they don't hold it very long. And eventually the Romans will be pushed aside by the great Byzantine armies out of Constantinople, what is modern day Turkey and Istanbul. And the, the Byzantines will shift over time under Muslim rule to become the Ottomans. And the Ottomans will hold the region for another 500 years. But even their kingdom won't last. Right before the First World War, World War number one, the Ottomans begin to break apart. And eventually in World War I, the British Empire takes over that land. The Brits, our forebearers, many of us coming from lineage of England, the British Empire set up shop in the Holy Land. But they don't even hold it that long. Right after World War II, the British people decide it's no longer appropriate for them to control the Holy Land, so they give it to the Jordanians and the Palestinians, and they create a, a, a separate institution of half Jordanian, half Palestinian. And then after the Holocaust, there is many who say the Jewish people need to return to their homeland, and so they allow them to come in and reestablish a country or state happening in the 1950s. This is, this is like not even 100 years ago, but it's not a kingdom. There's no someone sitting on a throne. And in that timeline, some 6,000 years, 14 different groups ruled and reigned over that little strip of land called Israel. But it still could be lost. There have been wars with Egypt. There's been wars with Syria. Right now, there's a pending war possibly with Iran. Some have said if the United States didn't protect Israel, it would have already been wiped off the face of the map. But you know what? The United States is not a kingdom that will last forever. Come on, we're just rookies in all of this. 
not even 250 years old, if you even want to count our birthday as the founding of an empire. Empires come and go. Empires rise and fall. Empires have earthly reigns and they have earthly demises. Friends, let me tell you, there is only one kingdom that shall never end. There's only one kingdom that will rule and reign for all eternity. And it's not an earthly kingdom. It's the kingdom of King Jesus. And that's the kingdom that will have its authority and rule and reign for all eternity. Friends, do you know the king? You can bow down to an earthly authority. You can bow down to an earthly kingdom. You can lift the flag of America as high. But there is only one king and only one kingdom that will last throughout all time. And it's the Christ who came in Bethlehem. It's the Christ who went to the cross. It's the Christ who left the empty tomb. And it's the Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father and it will be Christ Jesus who will return victorious and rule and reign over all eternity. Do you know the king forever? Amen. That's the kingdom whose kingdom shall never end. Do you know the Christ who is the king? Let me have you bow your heads. The wise men came before him, fell down, and worshiped him, and offered their gifts. I ask today, do you need to fall down before Christ Jesus the King and offer your life? Laying down sin, laying down pride, taking up the forgiveness and the promise and the hope of the king who shall reign forever and ever. Do you know the king? One day, we will all stand before the king. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Do you know him? Have you trusted him with your life? Have you trusted him with your faith? Are you confident today that if you were to die, as you stood before Christ Jesus the King, he would welcome you into his heaven? So Lord, we just come to you now. I pray this has been a faithful proclamation of Christ Jesus the King. Scripture says if we will lift him up, he draws all men unto himself. So if there be any today that need to trust Jesus Christ, King Savior, Lord, Messiah. I pray today they would fall down and offer their life to him. We pray this in Jesus' name.